Welcome to The Invisible Hand. I'm your host, Dominic Sherab, and this week I'm not joined by my co-host, Paul Scanlon, but instead a Mr. Jamie Bang, to look under the hood of the Australian economy with a view to understanding what's happening and why. Welcome, Mr. Bang. Thanks for having me, Dom. Um, I guess it's probably important to provide some context to why I'm filling in today. Yeah, do it. Uh, Definitely not my news to share, but Paul is in hospital with his newborn twins. And for my friends that are out there, being the opportunistic person that I am, I've (laughs) swooped in to live out my dream, which is to be on a podcast. So I'm very much looking forward to our session today, Tom. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. Uh, So this week, we have our usual three segments, What's in the News, where we'll be discussing the Albanese government's new Housing Australia Future Fund and whether we think it will address the undersupply in housing at the moment. Uh, In our second segment, The Hand, we'll be discussing the narrow path the RBA has been trying to travel, travel along to get inflation back in line and whether the end is in sight. In our final segment, The Invisible, well, I think the technical term is we are winging it. <laughs> That's correct. So I understand there's usually a structure to the podcast, but given the fact that I'm a last minute ring in, my request has been whether we can bring some wildness to this podcast and take it on the fly. Let's do it. Turning first to what's in the news. The Australian government finally passed the $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund the other week. Through the fund, the government has committed to creating a funding source to support and increase social and affordable housing, as well as other acute housing needs. Uh, So they're focused on um, housing improvements to meet the particular needs of Indigenous communities and uh, supporting housing services for women, children and veterans. So on the face of it, um, this seems like something really positive to me. Um, Certainly, I just came back to Australia. I lived in Canada for a while, and I can tell you that the, the rental market here, the housing market is pretty scary. So to me, it, it seems really positive. I know that Paul has been talking about housing under supply for a while now. Uh, and so I was quite interested to hear his uh, opinion about this. But as we don't have him, I have you today, Jamie Bang. So let me know what you think. Sure. And it's probably worthwhile here to state up front that I'm no expert. So I don't I'd love to engage on this topic with you as a fellow poor person who's struggling <laughs> struggling to access Australia's property market, both rental and ownership. Yeah. But sure. I mean, if you're asking me about the the new fund, you know, the, there is a no one needs to look beyond the headlines to understand the issues around rising rent, increasing homelessness, and the reality that buying a home is impossible without mummy and daddy's support, right? Pretty much. But and so off the back of that, the government's creating a fund to create more housing makes sense but on the invisible hand you you know the issue is a lot deeper than that so sure what about you dom i know you said that you came from canada have you seen many differences between rent here and rent there it's a pretty good question actually it's quite extreme the difference um so in canada i had a two-bedroom apartment in uh, like a relatively okay area with access to a backyard um and it was just my partner and i and we paid wait for it, $900 a month. So and yeah. A month, not, not a, a week. A month, a month. Uh, and here, if uh, I'm currently looking for a place to stay with my partner and our dog, um, we're looking at, you know, an okay house, not not a house, like a unit, an apartment or something, 750 a week. 
So like there are differences, of course, like, you know, salaries are, are different. Salaries mm. are lower in Canada compared to Australia, but um, food is the same. You know, other costs are, are pretty comparable. So it, yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking. That is interesting because um, in my mind, I mean, I did my semester abroad in Calgary, Canada, and I think my main takeaway beyond partying and skiing every weekend was the fact that Canada and Australia were very much similar culturally. Um, from a political system as well, from a legal system. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there are those differences is proof in the pudding about the invisible hand. Um, you raised, you talked about some numbers there. I think Paul would, we wouldn't do justice, Paul, if we didn't talk about data and collecting the dots. Yeah. So I do apologize to my limited friends who are listening to this. I'm going to spit out some statistics. <laughs> so apparently the need for new dwellings over the past five years was around 147,000 per annum. And over the next half decade, this underlying demand is supposed to reach over 220,000 each year. Wow. That's approximately an 80,000 increase or half basically a boost, 50% boost. And so the level of demand is equivalent to building a Canberra or Newcastle each year. And while this has been a demand in 2022, 2023, we actually only saw 170,000 dwelling commencements. And that's only based on the second half of calendar year 2022. And my takeaway from all of that is that the new housing market is in undersupply uh, across the country. And so does it make sense for a fund to help with more housing? Sure. I just can't help Dom but be cynical when it comes to politicians (laughs) and the new policies or or laws. Right, right. I understand. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, that's that's right. It's there does seem to be like um, a gap, maybe, between um, policy and execution. I think that could be it. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, it is really shocking to hear about the level of demand. um, And it's wonderful to hear that the government wants to do something about it. But, you know, is it possible? That's probably a question most people asking. We're talking about uh, the last year. There's been lots of um, collapses of building companies. I know that building approvals are down. So, like, how is this going to happen? Great question, Dom. And I don't think I've got the answer to that. but. Uh, probably I, in my journey this year of raising some pre-seed funding, being a professional salesman in many ways, yeah, I can understand the view of the politicians. And one of the pitfalls is you think about the vision, but then when you actually have to implement, can they meet their targets, notwithstanding that building companies are going down and building approvals are also down? Who knows, Dom? Who knows? But great question. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing to bear in mind that over the last little while uh, in New South Wales and Victoria, quite a large chunk of um, property or, or stock there has been locked up by foreign interests. So when we're already talking about an undersupply of housing, of that undersupply, a large part of it goes to foreign um, interests, let's say, um, it does sort of even change the the way that we're looking um at the data that's not to suggest that we should you know stop foreigners from coming in stop immigrants close the borders let let the koreans in (laughs) let's let the koreans in yeah (laughs) um so it's not to suggest that but just to sort of like you know really illuminate what's what's happening at the moment 100 percent, dom and it's all smoke and mirrors because you know, in one article, you hear about the fact that this undersupply is due to foreign investors taking up houses. 
But if you look at the numbers or Paul's quote, collecting the dots, um, if you look at the data from 2021 to 2022, foreign investors bought less than 1% of the property here. Now, really? I know, know smartasses will say that's due to COVID and whatnot, but that does point out the difference between headlines that are pushed, sentiments that are out there, and the reality and the differences and the invisible hands that exist. Good point, Jamie Bang. So, Jamie, just circling back, um, what's your final take on the government's new fund? Yep. Politics, politicians and their policies, and then execution and reality, completely separate in my mind. There's a housing shortage, sure. If we accept that premise, should we create more houses? That's logical. But I think the issue is a lot deeper than that, and I don't have the answers to the universe, Dom. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jamie. Next up is our segment, The Hand, which is a nod to our namesake economist Adam Smith's reference to the forces that shape our economy. Let's see what's moving markets this week. And this week, again, we'll be talking about inflation, hopefully for the last time, to consider whether the RBA has made it along the narrow path and how, um, really, to see how they got there. So, Jamie, over to you. Thanks, Tom. Maybe it's important to provide some context here. Always. And and you guys were all in Australia whilst I was abroad, but, you know, we came out of COVID pretty strong and quicker than the rest of the world thanks to pent-up demand from the border closures, no doubt. So the question for the RBA at that time was on the size and duration of reopening the inflationary stock and how quickly they could pull back on their exceptional policy support of ultra-low interest rates. Right. But as 2021 unfolded, we all know and felt inflationary pressure advanced. In layman's terms, prices increased left, right and centre and impacted by, at least according to the headlines, global supply chain issues and the tight labour market. Mm-hmm. And, and Dom and I, you know, you, we've talked about how maybe a part of that is due to corporates price gouging and being opportunistic. Probably a conversation for an, another podcast. <laughs> but as a consequence, the RBA's efforts for normalisation in monetary policy switched to a case of tightening and we've been living with the consequence ever since. Yeah, that's right. So um, we had really high inflation last year, 7.8% in December, They've been increasing interest rates as a consequence since then. We've had a couple of months of on hold uh, with no rate rises. Um, but today, just today, there's been a, a new release of data indicating that inflation or the CPI, Consumer Price Index, has increased again from 4.9% to 5.2%, which is definitely not the direction the RBA was hoping for. The first release since Michelle Bullock uh, has come on. Um just not the story that they would be wanting to tell uh, Jamie. Yeah, it's it's tough for the RBA. Uh, and, you know, I was <laughs> at Dom's there giggling because I'm being a smart ass here. But sure, like it seems very reactionary on their part. You know, CPI has been coming down, so they've stopped increasing the interest rates. Now CPA's had a weird hike back up. No reaction yet. No reaction course. yet. No reaction yet. So maybe old man Paul might be correct. I know in, in the prior episodes you did predict interest rates will continue to increase. Maybe we do end up going down that path. But I think that's what's so important, uh, interesting here at the invisible hand. You know, it's never rational, is it? 
Right. So, yeah, Paul talked about inflation being sticky, certainly services inflation, and that's what's showing in the data also. It's like goods inflation is down, yep. services inflation uh, remains uh, strong, so to speak. Uh, and so the question is whether the RBA has the right tools, Has uh, can they do it with monetary policy? Is this enough? Uh, can the government, like Paul's spoken previously about, other measures that the government can mm. um utilize um to address inflation um but from what it seems like you know the rba has this trajectory that they've set out in their statement on monetary policy about how they see inflation moving from here from august until you know 2025 they were hoping they were predicting that inflation uh would be within the band by june 2025 it would be at three percent and at the end of 2025 they were predicting that it would be between two point the 2.75%. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's very interesting, Dom, because, again, as a ringing guess and with my limited desktop research, what <laughs> that actually means is that, you know, according to the statement of monetary policy, what that means is that returning the economy to that target inflation actually would cause Australia to enter into a per capita recession. And whether you're an economics person or not, you, you know the famous statistic for Australia, we haven't been in recession since 1991. So who knows? I mean, I think in part one, we talked about politicians' policies and its separation from reality. Now, maybe it's worthwhile to talk about economists and their spreadsheets and reality. Right. Well, an economy is, you know, animated by human beings. Like we make decisions each day. That's what affects the economy. The economy is just really a concept that we use to understand all of these different forces but at at the end of the day it's you me and joe blow um big corporates as well of course it's not just individuals that Mm. are making decisions um, within our lives within our businesses within our families which impact this thing that we call the economy yeah i guess in summary for in layman's terms inflation is high it needs to come down reserve bank of australia responds by increasing the interest rate and infl- so inflation has come back down, but it's gone back up. Humans are irrational. <laughs> I like that summary. Thanks, Jamie. Moving right along to our final segment, What's Invisible? And as we signpost at the beginning of the episode, we are unprepared. And Jamie Bang's idea is to wing it, which we are going to do. Over to you, Mr. Bang. Thanks, Dom. Yeah, so as we signposted at the beginning, I'm a ring-in. Life is messy. The best way to do it is just to wing it. <laughs> Probably Paul wouldn't align with that kind of approach. No. <laughs> but we thought we would keep this wild and fun. And so for this topic of what's invisible, thematically in terms of the structure, the invisible hand, if we draw that analogy to this podcast, the hand would be the podcast. Invisible would be the the forces that sit behind the podcast, why we exist. <laughs> the the dark forces. Exactly. <laughs> So maybe, maybe Dom, I, I know I'm kind of asking this off the cuff to you, but what is your context to why you're doing this podcast? Mm, um, okay, so probably a step back even um, to answer the question, I need to step back even further um, to understand the relationship between Paul and myself. So about 10 years ago, I was working in the political economy department at Sydney Uni. Um, as a researcher and tutor, and I was uh, approached by one of my professors um, to see if I was interested in working uh, with a finance company, which 
uh, as someone who's studied Marxism and uh, Foucauldian political economy, I was thought I would hate this person <laughs> and I did not want to go and work for them, but you know, you need to pay the bills. So I went and, and met this guy called Paul, who is uh, my co-host now. So he was doing the degree with you at the time? He wasn't doing the degree with me, no. So I'd graduated. He was actually, yeah, I should have said that. He was studying a master's of political economy. Right, right, right. Uh, and so he'd asked his professor to recommend someone and she had recommended me. Uh, and so I went and met this guy and unfortunately really liked him and he offered me a job even after reading my Marxist Foucauldian political analysis of whatever. And um, anyway, so I worked for him for a little while doing research work. And then after a while, I decided I wanted to go overseas, which I did. And I've been doing my own stuff for the last 10 years. And just in the last year, I've come back to work with Paul. And yeah, we, I guess we both love uh, political economic analysis. We're interested in understanding how the world works and doesn't work. Yep, um, yep. And so the podcast was born. Amazing. Yeah. So... I don't know. How about you? Why are you here? Why are you the ring in of all the people? Why are you? Yeah, the layer behind, you know, beyond Paul being in a hospital with newborn twins. Um, I think I've got a similar connection to Paul. I came across him whilst I was in professional services in an investment bank that no longer exists. <laughs> but uh, part of my quarter life crisis was about, you know, beyond the paycheck, I want to build businesses mm -hmm. and Whilst I was in that delusional frame of mind, I thought I'll be weird enough and crazy enough to ask Paul if I can live and work with him and actually see how businesses run. Live and work. I, th I think the quote, so you know how I lo love to speak off the cuff? Do know that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the phrase that I practiced in the line was, I want to see what you eat for breakfast, how often you, you see your kids, mm. and what it actually takes to run a very successful business. Mm -hmm. That's the, the, the phrase that I practiced. But anyway, he was, I think he liked the weirdness in me and took me on board and I work with him, I live with him, ended up funding my business school abroad too. So now I'm back doing my own thing, unrelated to any of Paul's businesses for the time being, uh, but I'm here. So what made you interested in Paul? Like I'm sure, like, you know, you worked in this fancy dang investment yeah. bank, you must be coming across you know pretty impressive people all the time what was it that drew you to paul yep. and then like a second to that is has it borne out you know like your hunches about him no and I, I want this i want to make this the jamie bang show not the paul show <laughs> <laughs> but but i think it was and not many people know this about paul but he's got six degrees and i think you know people who tangently know paul would not expect that about him He's quite disciplined. You know, he talks academically about doing a podcast with you some time ago and now it's a thing. Yeah. So things just bloody happen. Well, isn't that proof that, of course, he would have done six degrees? He should have done nine. <laughs> exactly. And waste more money. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, yeah, I think why I took a liking to him was his discipline. Um, he's hungry. You know, apparently, Dom, and we can have this conversation in, at a fun level, but people like other people for three reasons. One, you can use them, whether it's playing the Xbox or sex or otherwise. Two, you see a bit of yourself in them. Or three, they've got qualities that you don't have that you wish to have for yourself. So I think in many ways, you know, probably ticked all three boxes for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw Paul as someone who could 
mentor me, teach me stuff. Um, maybe he would get offended by this, but I saw a bit of myself in him. And certainly there are many qualities, probably his stability, uh, that I would love to have for myself if I could, if I'm to go to the next level. Amazing. Thanks for sharing, Jamie. Um, and with that, I think we're out of time. Hang on, Don. We're not out of time yet. I, I, I do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I do need to give a shameless plug to the startup that I'm working on. Um, this is you know, taking my own leap of faith. Uh, it's a dating app, for okay. lack of a better term, but you know, addressing the issue that dating apps haven't innovated beyond lead generation and swiping. Um, so what we're actually building is something that goes beyond the match, helping people to be more authentic, uh, be self-aware and have more of these real conversations and better connect with other people. I love that. Beyond the spiel that I just gave, if you buy into the vision of whatever I just tried to say, give us a follow on our Instagram page at Red Flags Dating and I'd be eternally grateful. At Red Flags Dating. Yes, that's correct. Awesome. Thanks for having me today, Dom. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for joining us for another episode of The Invisible Hand. If you liked what you heard, please rate our show. And if you have any questions or ideas for what's being discussed, please feel free to reach out to us. Bye.